one mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. Welcome to the One Might, One Voice show, Building the Collective Conscience, a show that's created to give space where your voice, ideas, and informed opinions can be heard, appreciated, and debated. I am Michael Eric Owens. Man, we got a show today. I'm going to try to make it through this show. I can tell you it has been very difficult these past, wow, what we want to say a few few days especially given all of the protests that is happening around the country and my heart is heavy and i'm sure your heart is heavy there has been much discussion being made uh, across social media there has been a lot of friction um <laughs> I want to say um, a lot of uh, misinformation and I'm saddened by the um, discourse that um, is coming across the airwaves. However, I am truly encouraged by um, the engagement that I see with um, Black, White, Latino, uh, Asian folks that are in the conversation. And I want to talk a little bit first before I get into our topic today, being a Black man in America. We have a lot of protests going on. Last night, there were protests here in Oklahoma City in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, my origin of my birth, Minneapolis, New York, Philadelphia, across the nation. They say in 30 cities, they have been protests. And while it has been peaceful, it also has been violent at times. And out of this protest, there is a lot of young people, um, young activists that are just getting into the game. And one comes to uh, this sort of passion with energy, enthusiasm, outrage. Um, but it has to be more than simply an emotional experience. It has to be more than simply a camera shot. It has to be more than simply a camaraderie among protesters. You see, we need change. We need leadership that will bring about systemic change. Folks, you're not going to change the hearts of those who see the world differently than you. You might get a few. But racism, discrimination, hatred, 
it's taught and it will be continue to be taught in the homes of America. Children will be indoctrinated in white supremacy. That will not change. What we need to change is a system that holds people accountable and forces people to change their behavior, right? We already have laws that do that. I don't have to go into that. But we need new leadership because I'm going to say to you, our current leadership is broken. You might say to me, that's a harsh thing to say, Brother Michael. Well, it may sound harsh, but look at our situation. It's gotten worse. It hasn't gotten better. And so I'm going to say this to those young people, to those protesters. We need you to rise up. We need leaders, new leaders with new ideas and new passions, new direction. Otherwise, you're going to gather again under the same umbrella of pain and anguish. Let's not let history repeat itself again. It is up to us. You can't turn to our congressional leaders. You can't turn of course, you can't turn to the White House. What president has not made a national address when the country is in turmoil? One that has no empathy and cannot muster the, the ability to speak to the hearts of those who have been wounded, not just in the moment, but for generations. You can't look to state or local level leadership because look, Look at where we are. We must do something different. So this show today is about understanding what it means to be a black man in America. And I understand there's going to be some folks that say, hey, look, why are you not talking about black women? A lot of things I'm going to talk about today apply to black women. I'm not ostracizing black women. But what I saw with George Ford, I saw a black man. What I saw with Trayvon Martin, I saw a black man. What I saw with Eric Garner, I saw a black man. Then the list goes on and on. Tamir Rice, when I saw uh, all of these, um, Brother Scott in South Carolina, black men. So I'm going to pause and talk about black men. Don't be offended. Maybe get out your pen and paper. You might learn something. What it means. I, I can't say what it means to be a woman, a white woman, a black woman, an Asian woman, a Latino. I can't say that. But what I can say, I can speak to my experience. And I guarantee you, my experience a lot of brothers are going to say amen to the things I'm saying today. But I want to start off with this video, this video, because this is flowing out of the loss of Brother George. So take a listen. If 
you're on YouTube, you should be able to see this video. But take a listen, and we will come back and talk about it. Joining me now is Felonis Floyd, brother of George Floyd. With him, George's nephew, Brandon Williams, and Benjamin Crump, attorney for the Floyd family, attorney Crump, and I will be back in Minnesota soon to officiate and deliver eulogies at George Floyd's funeral. Let me start with you, uh, uh, Felonis. Uh, your brother, your buddy, we talked this week, you and I and members of your family with Attorney Crump, and you said publicly that you want to see the charge upgraded to murder one and you want the other three officers present also to be prosecuted and arrested. Yes, sir. They all need to be convicted of first-degree murder and given the death penalty because they didn't care about what they wanted to do with my brother. He wasn't a person to them. He was scum. He was nothing. And I can imagine how many people they did like that. I don't need them on the streets to kill anybody else. I'm hurt. My family is hurt. His kids are hurt. They will grow up without a father. Everybody is crying and in pain right now. So if they can do anything, please arrest those other officers and give them murder one. Let me ask you this. You, uh, it has not been uh, asked of you. You spoke uh, to both President Trump and the family spoke to former Vice President Biden. What did you say to them? I asked um, Vice President Biden and uh, I never had to beg a man before, but I asked him, could he please, please get justice for my brother? Please, because I need it. I need it. I do not want to see him on a shirt just like the other guys. Mm. Nobody deserved that. Black folks don't deserve that. We all dying. We're all dying. Black lives matter. We need it. It's pain. We're fueled by pain right now. And we should just be peaceful, but it's hard right now. What was the conversation with President Trump like? It was so fast. He didn't give me the opportunity to even speak. It was hard. I was trying to talk to him, but he just kept, like, pushing me off. Like, I don't want to hear what you're talking about. And I just told him I want justice. I said that I couldn't believe that they committed a modern-day lynching in broad daylight. That's I can't stand for that. Yeah. I can't. And, and, and it hurt me, you know. And it just, I just don't understand, man. Why we got to go through this? Why we got to have all this pain, man? I love my brother. I'm never going to see him again. Brandon, give us a sense of what type of person George Floyd was. Uh, you knew him. We, the world knows him now in his death. You knew him in his life. You see your father in, in tears. And even we're talking to the president of the United States and the candidate for office, there's no peace at all because they're in his judgment, not been charged right, members of your family. Give us a sense. Tell the nation what kind of person George was. He was a great person, a loving person. Um, to know him was to love him. He just had a special way of lighting up a room. Um, if you ever encountered him, you would just, just instantly gravitate to him. Um, I don't really have a word. Today is a very emotional day for me and my family. Um, 
today makes two years that his mother passed, which is my grandmother, and you know, the family's hurting. So, but they, they they took his life from him, and he didn't deserve that. Uh, no human deserves that. And what they did, it wasn't right. No, I, I don't see anything justifying what occurred on that horrific video. For other long? than and the intent to murder. Felonis, as you uh, see the uh, outpouring, you want justice. You don't just want drama. You want justice. You said to me on the phone, they took his life. You want justice. As you talk to people around the world right now, all you're asking for is justice. You said, I don't want a favor. They took his life. I want justice. A life for a life. That's what I want. I don't want any favors, just like you said. A crime is a crime. If I would have committed the crime, I would have been locked up the same day. Everybody know that. It could be for something less than that. But to kill a man who you was trying to say was forgery and you killed him for that? You couldn't restrain him in any way to put him inside of the car and take him to jail for anything and find out? You killed him. That was hatred. Mm. That was just hatred. Nobody, nobody deserved that. I'm tired of seeing it. That's real. I'm tired of this. I love my brother. We all love him. We looked up to him. He doesn't deserve that. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSN. All right. A loving person, a great person, a special person who lit up the room when he came in. I got a comment here from Mr. I hope I pronounced this, my Yoji, which says, why do you live in America if they are all races against you? That's a simple answer to that. They're not. I mean, I, they're, they're not. And, you, and if you've listened to this show, if you follow this podcast, you know that I have a very, ba very balanced uh, understanding of race in America. Um, so it's a simple answer. They're not. Leah Marie, welcome to the show. Um, let me say this. What do we see symbolically in Brother Ford's death? George Ford's death. What do we see in Brother Floyd's death? symbolically we see his cooperation you see as black men we are expected to be docile quiet our passion is always mistaken for aggression i've been told before you know when i talk i like to talk with my hands and people are intimidated by me i don't i'm not throwing blows i don't understand the intimidation but Yes, we are called to be docile, right? Um, symbolic in his death is his compliance. You see, as black men, we are expected to conform because in the eyes of many, being different is deficient. They don't have the capacity to try to understand the beauty of that difference, the beauty, the beauty of a mind that doesn't think like theirs. 
Symbolic in his death is his vulnerability in those around him. That video. His powerlessness. How long have we lacked the power to change our own community, our own circumstances? This inability was on full display for the world to see. Those onlookers, why did someone jump in? That's an important question. Why didn't someone jump in and help? Because they know they would have probably got shot. They wouldn't have made it out alive. That vulnerability, that level of powerlessness exists every day in the life of a black man. His plea is symbolic. He begged for his life. He cried for help, for mercy. His mercy was met with contempt. As black men, we have cried out for our dignity, for our talents and gifts and our creativity to be recognized. We have cried out and moaned for opportunity, for fairness, and yes, for respect. We have cried out to be seen simply as human in this world. But that too has been met with content. How long will we continue to live with this anguish, with these silent tears? We are gripped by fear, broken, but yet not destroyed. Symbolic is his death. Brother Tupac said, I see death around the corner. Brother George's death symbolizes the lack of value America has for black men. Historically, not just in the 21st century, since his origin. But get this, this is what's shocking about black men. As long as we entertain you, appear on your movie screen, hit a home run, score a touchdown, or hit that game-winning shot. You adore us. You applaud us. You wear us on your back. You can't wait to get there to see us. But off the set, off the field, away from the glaring lights of the hardwood floor. To you, our life has no value. Has no value. What is it like to be raised, to grow up as a black boy? We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to listen to a short video with these young black men talking about their experience growing up being black in, in America. Folks, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Okay. 
Oklahoma Humanities Brain Box podcast uses the humanities to take listeners on a deep dive into the issues affecting American society and culture. Join some of Oklahoma's most interesting and knowledgeable humanities scholars to explore how history, literature, ethics, philosophy, and other humanities fields inform our understanding of current events and the human experience. And to find the Brain Box podcast, simply search Brain Box Podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, and any other podcasting library. If you have any ideas or comments rattling around in your noggin, email us at brainbox at okhumanities.org. This is Dr. Laura Jalat, and when I listen to podcasts, I always listen to the One Mic, One Voice show. You're on the One Mic, One Voice show with Michael Eric Owens. I want to thank our listeners across the globe, on the continent, throughout Europe, in Oklahoma, throughout the United States. I appreciate you. I've heard from a lot of you this week. Man, it's been hot. It's been real hot. It's been challenging. And I know your anguish, your grief. I understand it. And even to those that I have disagreed with on a very deep level, uh, I'm not mad at you, but I did have to block some of you, though, just to <laughs> just to keep it real. I did have to have a block party because some of it was just so foolish that I didn't want to entertain it. Um, we are in serious times now. We're talking about being a black man in America. Before our break, I talked about what does it mean growing up black? And here's an op doc from uh, the New York Times. But why do I say these things? Because growing up black is very difficult. It is also difficult for the parents of black and brown boys. And let me just throw this little caveat in there, because I know um, some of you would say I'm, I'm biracial. You know, somebody's parent, one parent is black and one may be white or Asian or Latino. Or, you know. uh, I get that. And I want you to celebrate that diversity um, of, pers- of the person you are. I-, I get it. I dig it. I love it. But let me say something to you. Um, if you got any black in you, you black. Okay. I'm just going to say it to you like that and look to how they did President Obama. Okay. His mother is white. His daddy's from Kenya. They even called him the first black president. You're not going to shake that association with blackness, the great association with blackness, the beauty, the gifts, the history, the, the cultural, I think, impact of blackness across the world. The beauty of that but you also cannot get around the stigmatization, the stereotypical way of how blackness is viewed. So yeah, this is for you too. And I think if you are socially conscious and you have your hand on the pulse, clearly you understand what I'm speaking to you is an axiom. It's the truth. So a conversation about growing up black. Let's take a listen. Racism means basically like a large part of a 
a race feels that they're superior to another race. And so and so not only do they believe that, but they act on it. Examples would be in class, sometimes I'd be the only black kid and we read a book like, I don't know, Huck Finn, and then there's that uncomfortable moment, the the magic word <laughs> come up and people would look at you and you're like, what's his reaction and things like that. I was walking home from school with this one white girl and we just gone off the bus and we were about to, we were almost home and there were these group of black kids that just gone out of school. And she was like, oh, let's cross the street. There's a group of black kids. I don't want to run into them. And so she told me, which I don't even know why she would do that. I used to wear a sweatband, like, just to reinforce my wrist. And I had a teacher come up to me and say, you should take it off because it looks gang affiliated. I've been in situations where, you know, I had to cross the street because I didn't want to scare the white lady that was walking. I would actually, it would get to the point where I would start to count how many times a woman would clutch her bag. When I was 16, I was leaving my mom's house in my pajamas, which had snowmen on them, um, with my brother, and we were actually stopped by the police rather aggressively. I've been stopped by the cops on my way between classes, because we have two separate buildings, walking from one building to the other building, as my white students in the same class walked by me. It's kind of upsetting, because we live in a world where my mom has to be afraid when I walk outside from the people that are like meant to protect me. And I just, I don't like when my mother feels like that. You know, I love my mother. She should always, I want her to always be happy. You know, I walk tall, I keep my head up, very, you know, try to be very articulate and, and polite. Um, and so, I, of course, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be fine because I act a certain way. And of course, that has absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, people, the way people perceive you, you know, it is not up to you. My parents taught me, oh, you know, cops are your friends. You're supposed to, you know, they're here to protect you. But all I'm seeing is the opposite. So how can I not be afraid when I feel like I'm being hunted? When I feel like I'm there to fill a quota? We are in a so-called free society. And as a black man, we literally don't feel free. Um, we don't know what freedom is. Every time we're, we're killed, the first thing you see on the news is, oh, criminal record or something like that. So from the, from the second the bullet hits us, already we're starting to be dehumanized. With black people like myself, we don't get as many chances as, as, as they do. So you have to be aware and you have to watch out and you can't mess up. This was an extremely emotionally taxing process for me in terms of coming to terms with maybe the, the nature of, of racism in my own life and in this country and in this world. And if you wait until somebody is 12, 13, and 14 to put that on them, it's, it's really, it can be really difficult. My dad, he's just like the honest one. He's like, listen, son, like there are things in this world like you have to, you kind of have to watch out. He doesn't want me to live in fear, but he wants me to be aware. I want people to know that I'm perfectly fine and I'm not going to hurt anybody or do anything bad. I should be judged about like who I who I am and like and what kind of person I am. My parents would tell me, especially my mom, she would tell me, you have to endure, you have to muscle through it, and like, and this is no different. It's a part of being a person of color in America. And there's a certain comfortability associated with that because if I know that something is inevitable then I know how to deal with it. I, fortunately, I've had parents who have said, this is what you do. Mom and Dad, I'll be fine because you did a good job raising me. Uh, 
you gave me all the resources and the time and the blood, sweat, and tears um, to make me a good man, an honorable man, and the foundation to survive in this country. I want you to know that I will act in a appropriate manner and do everything that you told me to do because I do love you and I know that everything you say is not for a reason and not just to talk to talk and I love you. Let's pull some quotes from these young black men. First of all, the gentleman said, my mom has to be afraid when I walk outside the house. Think about that. Think about being a parent and you are terrified every time your child leaves. Think about the child being afraid to leave because he knows it's going to cause his mother stress daily. Let's look at another one. I feel like I'm being haunted, hunted down. You know, it breaks my heart to hear a young black boy say that his view of the police is that he's being hunted down. This is in his psyche every day, every encounter from a very young age. Another one. We live in a, quote, free society. Oh, this one, man, this one strikes deep. Yet as a black man, and this guy is 22 years old, as, yet as a black man, we don't feel free. We don't know what freedom is. Think about that for a moment. Not to even understand what freedom is, not to experience freedom when those around you simply because of the color of their skin lavish in freedom? Yet, as a black man, we don't even know how to define freedom from slavery to convict leasing to Jim Crowism to mass incarceration. What is freedom? What is it? Let's look at another one. The second the bullet hits us, already we are being dehumanized. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it further victimization, right? Oh, yeah, he had a record. Oh, he was selling cigarettes. Uh, he was, you know, he was a bad student. Nobody liked him. You know, uh, we heard he just uh, was a troublemaker. I mean, it's, 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 it's you, you just murdered him. But to justify that, you have to further dehumanize the black man. And this one that gets me, and I've always thought this throughout my life, you cannot mess up. 
there is no, the degree of error for a black man is nil. It's next to nothing. If you make one mistake, it, it doesn't have to be a criminal mistake. I'm just talking about in corporate America. If you, if, if, if you have been seen to have made a mistake, so how can one live their life trying to be perfect? We want to be the best we can be, but we can't be perfect. And the, the, the fear and the anxiety and the pressure Every day you're walking around thinking, I cannot make a mistake. It robs us of our creativity because out of the greatest mistakes come the greatest creativity known to man. But mm, nah, I, I can't, I can't make a mistake. And that father's conversation with their black sons about race. I know I've been there. Many of these young boys, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to face it. It's not that they don't want to listen to you. Had to have the same conversation with my daughter. It's not that they don't want to listen to you, but you are introducing them to pain. You're introducing them to a world in which they have to figure out how to navigate. I don't care how smart they are, how beautiful they may be. It's the skin that they are draped in. That's a painful, even to approach that conversation. It's very difficult. I once said to my uncle, we were having a, conversation I said I said why didn't you tell me it was going to be this difficult to be a black man in this country he said to me he said I started to but I I wanted to show you some compassion because I knew you would eventually find out he wanted to spare me the pain Right. Yeah. Been there, done that. Eliza says it is so disheartening to hear kids and young men say they they aren't only afraid of cops, but have to deal with people acting afraid of them. <laughs> Change must come and it must come now, not soon. Yeah. A young boy knowing that I, I, I need to I need to get on the other side of the road here because I don't want to terrify you because of your fragility because of your issue with me black black men don't have a problem let me repeat that black men do not have a problem they have a problem with black men there is it's not our problem we are victims to the problem we didn't create the problem. We're not authors of the problem. We just happen to be the main character in this problem plot. 
but because of your fragility. I know I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I don't say certain things that I want to say. I don't make certain movements or mannerisms. I downplay my enthusiasm. I I do all of that because of I know your fragility. And if I be myself, oh, my God, you you, you mad now. You jealous now. You, you don't think I should be all that I am. So because of your fragility, I put my gifts under a bushel. That's painful. And then this last quote, I want people to know that I'm perfectly fine. The young boy, bless his heart. And I'm not going to hurt anybody or do anything bad. Wow. Growing up black, everything I just mentioned, along with discrimination, police brutality, Violence in black homes, as well as violence in our own community. Now, some people will say, well, Mike, see, you don't talk about black on black crime. Go through the catalog, my friend. I've done several shows on black on black crime. I'm critical of 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 any anyone that's going to take anyone's life. The trauma that is produced by these things in the lives of black people. But remember specifically, I'm talking about black men. Again, I don't want to offend anyone, but it's time to pause and talk about black men and also for a black man to talk about black men. Folks, we're going to take a break, but when we get back, We're going to examine the depths of this trauma, this racial trauma that we live with day in day. Hang in there. I ain't got. I'm. I'm. I'm coming to an end. We'll be right back. This is Roxy Davis. And this is Deborah Burris. And we are the The Roxy by Design Show. Our show is designed to bring healing as we share our stories while God redesigns our lives. So take a ride with us. So you can find us at Podbean, iTunes, Facebook and Twitter, and blackandstudios.com. So thank you everyone for listening to the Roxy by Design Show. You have a blessed day. We love you. This is Koresh Ali Lansana, poet, author, educator, and Oklahoma. And when I listen to podcasts, I'm on that one mic, one voice joint. We are in desperate times, challenging times. Maybe times we have not seen in our lifetime. How do we respond? 
not just as a nation, but as individuals. Sooner or later, we have to look in the mirror and be the change that we seek. I think Mahakas Gandhi actually said that. I want to introduce to you, we're talking about being a black man in America. I want to introduce to you this idea of racial trauma. It is the link between racism and PTSD. Let's take a listen. Escalating violence and viral videos showing African-Americans being shot and killed is taking a toll on the black community. 41 Action News anchor Cynthia Newsom talked with mental health experts who said the psychological impact is similar to what soldiers experience in battle. I can't breathe. When you watch an officer um, put their knee in someone's neck, um, it is dehumanizing. Um, and it, for me, it's like, where is the dignity? Um, not only for not only for this person, but even for the person, people wearing the uniform. The African-American man begging to breathe died Tuesday and four Minneapolis police officers were fired in Kansas City. Two weeks ago, two Kansas City police officers were indicted on assault charges for slamming an African-American transgender woman's head onto a concrete sidewalk in May of 2019 and holding her down with a knee. In early May, cell phone video went viral showing an unarmed African-American man in Georgia who was shot and killed last February while he was jogging. Two white men have been charged in his death. After previous um, assaults, we said, well, we can't wear hoodies. We said, well, we can't walk around at night. We can't. And now, you know, we're questioning, can I jog in broad daylight or will someone assume that I'm running from a crime? I talked with Janae V. Henderson, a licensed professional counselor in private practice in Kansas City. She explained that many black people are frustrated and angry, experiencing what she calls racial trauma and hypervigilance. Checking on my surroundings, I'm looking around. I don't want to sit to my back towards the door because I want to make sure I can see what's coming towards me. The way that things are, ha are happening right now, uh, I, I, we all have to question um, what, what can we all do um, to um, make sure that there's real justice and real healing happening in our community. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. African-American male um, telling a lady what's right, uh, but her white privilege um, um, as you as showed in the video. Um, and so I think that uh, there needs to be some conversations about that example. The ad hoc group against crime leader said law enforcement needs to continue racial bias and de-escalation training and hire and promote more African-American police officers into leadership positions. We talk to our legislator about it. We write letters about it. We you know, some people that feel comfortable, they protest about it. And as African-Americans respond to injustice, the counselor said it's important to keep living and not allow racial trauma to take over your life. Racial trauma. I, I'm, I'm just going to slide some in here right quick that I think came out of this video that is noteworthy to mention. Because ultimately, these experiences that black men are having uh, we can say, apply this to black women as well. But what I'm going to say, ultimately, we want change. 
And the only way that you're going to have change, I don't care if it's on the national level, the local level, the state, the county, you have to have diversity in leadership. Things will stay the same if our city councils are all white, all men, no women, no black, no Latinos. If Congress doesn't continue to have more women, more black, more Latino, more Asian, our government will not change. Um, if we do not have more black mayors, black state senators, black principals, black teachers, if our leadership around this country does not diversify, I don't care how much protest you do. I don't care how outraged you may be. If we don't get more black police chiefs, more black policemen, Latino chiefs, policemen, Asian, if we do not diversify our leadership, listen, folks, nothing will change. Why? Because these are the decision makers. And this country is terrified of diversity. Everybody speaks about it. It's a coin phrase. It's nice to hear, but they are terrified of it because diversity means you have to share the land. You got to share the, you got to share the profits. You have to share the pot. And greed does not like to share. That's a segue, but it's true. Elijah said, Baltimore has a track record of stopping everyone from college students to their grandmothers because they are black. Why have they not been charged with violating these people's civil rights? It can go back to what I said. If you have insensitive people in leadership, nothing's going to change. No, no policy is going to be in, enforced. And when you're dealing with the police department, when the police is policing themselves, nothing's going to change. Nobody's going to convict themselves. Yeah, it's a shame. Microaggressions every day add to racial trauma. They are subtle, yet pervasive acts of racism. These can be brief remarks, vague inserts, Insults and even more verbal exchanges, nonverbal, such as scowls or refusing to sit next to a black person on the bus, on the subway. I want you to imagine that you encounter many of these every day of your life. I'm going to rattle off seven to you. Imagine yourself waking up every day knowing that you have to encounter these. You will have to prepare yourself for these. Some of you are going to nod your head when I say some of these microaggressions. Number one, when I look at you, I don't see color. Oh my God. Oh man. Arthur says, don't live in fear. Live your life. And when these horrific events happen, Please stop looking into the white race for sympathy, but look to each other and work together to come up with the solution. I'm going to be talking about unity, Brother Arthur, here in a minute. 
when I look at you, I don't see color. My and and, and the, the new one is my kids don't see color. I, I hear that all the time. My kids just don't see color. Well, what you're saying is you don't see me. You say you don't see nature. When you look at nature, is nature one color? We only have one color flower. All the trees are all the same. That's the beauty of nature. It is our diversity. That's the beauty. The difference is in the beauty. Or beauty's in the difference. But you say you don't see color. You simply say, I don't see you. Or this one. I love it. America is a melting pot. <laughs> there is only one race, the human race. Yeah, we've heard that one before. How about this one? Being followed by a store owner. Or the white woman clutching her purse when you approach. That's happened to me on several occasions. Or this one. I'm not a racist. I have black friends. What are you talking about? <laughs> or this last one. Everyone can succeed in this country if they work hard enough. Yeah. What message does that send to you? Yeah. That none of that stuff that you're going through, none of that discrimination, you know, none of that, you know, the fact that there's age and name and sex, all that stuff, just work hard enough. You'll be fine. You'll make it. <laughs> what is the impact? When experiencing microaggressions, the person loses vital mental resources trying to figure out the intentions of the person committing the act. These events may happen frequently, making it difficult to mentally manage the sheer volume of racial stressors. Black men deal with racial stressors every day. The unpredictable and anxiety-provoking nature of the event, which may be dismissed by others. Well, no, you know what? Dan didn't mean that. No, no, Michael, he didn't. You know how many times I've been told when I've expressed something that I felt was racist or discriminatory toward me or offended? Oh, Michael, listen, you're being too sensitive. No, 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 Dan didn't mean that. regardless of how it made me feel. I was, my boss, one time I was working at a place. The boss said, how you doing? So I thought he was really interested in hearing. And so I, foolishly, I actually said how I was doing and how was things for me around here. And he just, man, he got so upset and, and said it wasn't like that and and how dare I and and I thought you asked me how I was doing and how were things going around it. He didn't want to hear it because my voice had no value. How I felt had no value because if it did, he would have said, Well, ho, Michael, let's talk about this. You shouldn't feel this way. Why do you feel this way? 
let's sit down with the people that you feel have mistreated you. Let's let's get to the bottom because everyone is valued here. No, Mm-mm. no, it was like I was the plague. You see, these unpredictable and anxiety-provoking nature of events which may be dismissed by others can lead to victims feeling as if they're going crazy, as if they're the problem. Research has linked racism to a host of other problems, including, get this, serious psychological distress, physical health problems, depression, anxiety, binge drinking, and even eating disorder. You want to know why there's so much of these high health factors plaguing the black community? It's because of PTSD. It's because of racism, microaggressions, dealing with it each and every day. And some have turned to self-medication. It could be alcohol. It could be food. They're trying to escape the pain and the hurt of simply trying to be black in this country. And then you cause further damage because you don't give us access to health. Many of our communities are in food deserts. Yeah. We are surrounded by constant reminders that race-related dangers can occur at any time, anywhere, and to any one of us. We might see clips on the nightly news featuring unarmed black men being killed on the streets like with Brother George. We might see a story of nooses hanging on college campuses. We might see white people confronting Black people and asking them, why are you here? Where do you live? Who are you coming to visit? We see church bombings, violence in our own community, and the list goes on and on. Over the centuries, the black community has developed a cultural knowledge of these sort of horrific events, which then primes us for traumatization when we hear about yet an act of violence. This is what you need to understand about the black psyche. While many people see uh, Brother George Floyd, Armand Aubrey, the brother in New York with the white lady, Michael Brown and others, as individual acts, as black folks, we see that as connected. It's the same thing. It's the same hatred. It's the same contempt. It's all the same. And so if you string that along, black to slavery, Jim Crow, convict leasing, mass incarceration, Rodney King, all of it is connected. So when an event happens, it reminds us of everything. 
that's racial trauma. This is what it's like to be a black man in America. Do you want to switch places with me? (laughs) Do you want to switch places with me? Of course not. Of course you don't. Then let me suggest this to you. See me as human. View me as having value. And listen to me because I matter to you. I matter to this world. That I'm more than simply a man in black skin. That I have a mind, a heart, and that I'm worthy of being loved. Brother Malcolm X said, the goal is the dignity of the black man in America. He wants respect as a human being. He wants recognition as a human being. Because history will speak of us. Somewhere in the distant future, a scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time. And what will she find? Will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that out of many, we became one? Or will she find that we solved nothing and remain a divided peoples? Yes, history will speak of us. We can make a difference if we try We can be the change that's in our lives All we gotta do is work together We gotta raise our children better We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate And spread the love One mind, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mind one voice, you can change the world, it's your choice. One mind, one voice, you can change the world, it's your choice. One mind, one voice, you can change the world, it's your choice. Thank you for downloading the One Mic, One Voice show. This episode is brought to you by Blacken Studios. To learn more about Blacken Studios, go to blackenstudios.com or visit their Facebook page. The views and opinions of the One Mic, One Voice podcast show do not reflect the views of Blacken Studios or our other sponsors.